everyone, and welcome to the Riffing on Realness podcast. I'm Carla Royal, a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving entrepreneurs, and with me is Juliette Fay, a poet and three principles facilitator. If you are wrestling with how to be real in the midst of rampant superficiality, and it's causing you to overthink, be too guarded, and not live your potential, then you're in the right place. In this podcast, Juliet and I explore how dropping the masks, being real and vulnerable, can help us connect, adapt, and find a richness of experience amid the chaos. We're glad you're here, and we invite you to tune in, slow down, and listen for your own wisdom. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Carla. So Juliet and I hopped on the phone this morning, and the thing that seemed to be uh, kind of most wanting attention this morning was a chat with our listeners about boundaries. And it's it's a really interesting topic for me, Juliet, because it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I know that I think I've spoken about this in other episodes where one of my trauma responses uh, to to some difficult times in my life is to kind of isolate. It's just to kind of stay away from anything that can trigger my trauma response. <laughs> And I know that I do that with uh, boundaries as well. And so one of the ways that that shows up for me, and we can dive into this, Juliet, and, and, and explore it, is that um, I, I have a tendency to say no is kind of my default, is just to say no without much thought about whether it would be good for me, enjoyable for me, or whatever. My other thing to do often is just to stay quiet around something I want. Uh, I can also be quite clear about what I want. So it's interesting to see how it plays out for me because there's a way in which there's certain things, man, that I, I just, I hold, I hold a, a boundary and man, you cannot, you cannot break through it. And I guess those are the areas in which I feel a certain level, measure of safety. And then there are other areas where I won't speak up or I'll just say no right out of the gate without considering how it could be good for me. It could be good for the for the other people. It could be enjoyable. It could be, you know, but just to sort of stay in my little isolated world. So that's just a, a basic thing of how it looks for me. I also know that women in general, from what I've read and heard and, and talking to other people, have a little sometimes more difficulty having boundaries than men, although it is something I speak about with my male clients who they have a hard time wanting, you know, with the idea of upsetting someone, making someone mad, disappointing someone. So I know it's across the board, but I think it's an interesting topic. Yeah, I love this topic and um, it feels I, I guess I what's coming to mind for me is I can sometimes do the opposite of what you said. I can say yes. Uh, and what I'm really interested to explore around that is when we start to notice what looks like automatic responses. So you mentioned the, the times when you're clear and, and I have that too. And it, for me, those feel very different. That Feeling clear about something isn't for me about going through a big list of pros and cons. It's just a sort of more spacious, quieter sense of yes or no. And it doesn't need a kind of whole um, 
reasoned argument behind it. It, it comes from a sort of deeper, deeper place. But like the a knowing, yeah, yeah, without all the analysis, exactly, and and without knowing what it'll lead to or what it will mean, and not needing to know, mm-hmm. and that is has a very different feeling. Whereas for me, sometimes my automatic yes can come. I'm beginning to realize from not wanting to disappoint, wanting to please, wanting to, somebody else is enthusiastic about something or it means a lot to them uh, or it, would make, or it looks like it would make them really happy. I'm, I'm noticing that there is there can be a, yeah, just an automatic, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm up for that, yeah, yeah. And that's just getting visible to me a lot more now. And it's quite interesting because, it's not that it's necessarily right or wrong in any given situation, but seeing it is giving me the sense of, okay, I don't have to give an immediate answer. Mm-hmm. I think we touched on this in another episode. Uh, we were talking in a business context where the idea of saying, oh, let me get back to you. And, um, And what's also got visible is that's never occurred to me before. So I've had a lot of situations in my life where I've said yes to someone else's request or idea, usually in personal settings, my family or things like that. And then I've got cold feet and down the line I've pulled out or said no, which, as you can imagine, creates a lot more sort of (laughs) upset than Mm -hmm. if I perhaps considered a bit more in the first place. And I maybe wouldn't have said yes. So in that case, it's almost as if my uh, knee-jerk response isn't necessarily kind of lined up with, um, well, is, is, is not serving me ultimately. And then perhaps down the line, I begin to realize that. <laughs> yeah, which then in turn doesn't serve them. Exactly. So it's like a bit of a lose lose. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, well, that situation you mentioned about the business was, as, as I recall from that, that episode was a client of mine who was becoming so resentful, because he was saying yes, to things he didn't want to do. And he didn't really rec- realize it he, because he didn't want to disappoint people. But in turn, he was feeling so much resentment. So So we talked about exploring the idea of saying, let me get back to you and then getting clear within himself. And so he started doing that. And he's been doing that now for about two months. And the last time we spoke, he said, man, this is working. This is really working for me. I feel so much better. He had um, a guy working for him who just wasn't doing a good job, but they were friends and they'd been working together a long time. But the guy just wasn't performing. And so we talked about the idea of being really clear about what he needed. And if he couldn't do it, hiring someone else. So he he finally got to the point where he was like, yeah, man, he's I'm paying him and he's not doing his job. So he he started looking for someone else to do the job. And he said how good it feels to be taking care of himself in that way. Now, one of the things I recognize with myself is that is that I can be clear about a boundary And then I can set that boundary. And then the person I set the boundary with doesn't like the boundary. (laughs) 
and pushes against the boundary. And then a lot of times where I go with that is into guilt, into hyper analysis, into hyper judgment. Well, was that the right thing? Is it okay? And I think that mostly what happens for me is not that I doubt that I made, I believe I made the right decision, but the, but where I get caught, Juliet, is, oh my God, they think, they think I'm wrong. They think I'm bad. They think I'm a horrible person. They think I'm an unkind person. So where I get stuck with my boundaries has less to do with boundaries and clarity than it does with what people are going to think of me. And that just flies all over me. And I know that part of that is is so cultural, a toxic culture. And part of that is the brain trying to keep us safe. You know, we don't want to get kicked out of our tribe because we'll die. At least that's how it feels to that primitive part of our brain. And that's where my biggest struggle, I think, is, is the idea of disappointing people or people being mad at me. Yeah, I, I just I love that. And what was coming to me is, you know, we we get really bent out of shape. It feels like something you would say, Carla, in trying to avoid that unpleasant discomfort of somebody not liking what we've yeah. said, done, not done, said we won't do, said we will do. And it's always looks interesting to me that it's quite often our very fertile imaginations just stop at that point and then they won't like me full stop yeah the and end. we don't go yeah the end <laughs> we won't we don't they don't go any further than that whereas the reality actually is that um I can remember a few years ago uh, my daughter was um facing a, a a meeting at school with a teacher and some other friends and she was kind of worried about it because she thought it was going to be horrible and I, it doesn't matter too much the details of the situation, but she thought one of the friends in that group was going to be really mad at her, maybe never speak to her again. And, you know, I found myself, it, it would have been tempting to go, oh, no, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. I think you've all done the right thing. And, you know, de da, de da, de da. But I found myself saying, yeah, well, it probably will be pretty horrible. <laughs> And yeah, she might not speak to you again. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you you've acted on you know what you feel is right, and your instinct is actually caring for for all of your friend group, all of them, not just my daughter. And it it sort of felt more authentic to me to not just try to pretend it was going to be an easy meeting. Yeah. Um, and because there's a much more. Um, for all of us, isn't it isn't it kind of more um, encouraging to say, yeah, there's there's going to be crappy things where we feel horrible and other people feel horrible. We know that's true. I mean, I've been on the planet fifty one years, and I I definitely know that's true. And you know, you know what? It doesn't hang around forever. People move on. Things don't always go as you expect anyway. Mm-hmm. And this idea, you know, can we extend our imagination to the other side of feeling lousy and someone else being upset with us and imagine that that, that rolls on through? Yeah. Because it's so powerful to know that that thing that looks so kind of, oh, I can't bear that they'll be upset with me, 
you know, a week later, a month later, a year later, you probably won't even remember it. Yeah. I love that you bring that up, Juliet, because I, I think for, for, I don't know how much of my life, but a lot of my life, I felt like if I just did the right thing, everything would work out just fine. If I just did the right thing, people would understand. If I just was able to, you know, and, and the truth is, no, that's not necessarily true. It, it could be that just like you said to your daughter, I love that you, you did that for your daughter because you told her the truth, which is that they may not speak to her again. They may be mad at her for the rest of their lives. Who knows? And I know that uh, fairly recently, a month or two ago, um, I had to have a very difficult conversation with a client and it freaked me out, to be honest. I had to set a very powerful, strong boundary with a, with a client and it did not go well. And I anticipated it not going well. And it scared me. I thought, oh, my gosh, she's going to give me bad press. I'm not going to have any clients ever again. And it took me a couple of days to sort of settle down and just be okay and know that everything's okay. It doesn't mean she's going to like me. It doesn't mean she might not say some bad things about me. It just, but it will over time, it'll be okay. It'll just be okay. And sure enough, I'm okay. I'm still alive. I still have a practice. <laughs> but it's interesting how, where our brains are, the stories we tell ourselves about these things. I heard somebody say somewhere in the last week that, you know, when, when we get caught up in those stories about predicting the future, of projecting into the future, oh my gosh, in this example of boundaries, oh my gosh, if I set this boundary, all these horrible things are going to happen, right? And And somebody was like, yes, but what if you what if you talk, what if in your mind you were like, I'm going to set this boundary. And what if all these wonderful things happen? What mm -hmm. if wonderful things happen? And the truth is, in this case with this client, like I just feel over time, I just feel a lot of relief. It's clean. What needed to happen, happened. It's clean. I don't have all this emotional baggage I'm carrying around about it anymore. And life is a little bit lighter because I set that boundary, that difficult boundary that she didn't like. So we could sort of, if we're going to imagine a future, <laughs> why not imagine a, a pleasant future? Like, why not imagine this could really work out? This could really be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's back to that thing that our imagination that's so fertile usually just seems to run out of steam and get stuck in the in the, in the kind of horror show that we think is gonna happen. Mm -hmm. So I love your invitation to sort of, you know, who knows, could actually be great, could really bring in some some different experiences. And and that thing around it's I think especially when you know, working with clients and or in, in, you know, with family or loved ones or people who are close to us. It can look like a place where it's really difficult to even know what boundaries you want to set. And if you do know to set them and if you set them like you were pointing at to hold to them and not to kind of cave in um, and underlying all that, I think it's really interesting to look at you know, what are we putting on it all? What's at stake here? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we, we keep coming back around to this, but because it, it's sort of relevant to everything, is that when we think somebody else is upset, 
can truly and utterly disturb our peace of mind sort of permanently and irrevocably, then of course it's going to look like it's sensible to try and keep everybody happy. But when we begin to recognise that those upsets for them and for us are temporary, they might hang around, you know, a few days or a few weeks, like, like we both know. But ultimately, you know, that that conversation you had with that client, Carla, I'd put money on the fact you won't be thinking about that on your deathbed. No. <laughs> that will not be the first thing on your mind. No, it won't. And so it's really interesting to just catch whether we are misattributing where our peace of mind comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because actually, for most of us, our experience is, yeah, you know, we have good days and bad days. We have good times and bad times. And there isn't a boundary we could set that would guarantee we always felt happy. There isn't a boundary that we could let other people crash that would guarantee we always felt terrible. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a lot of this podcast for us is about sort of circling around to just reflect again on where does that deeper peace of mind come from and and the reason for that is not to um kind of try and be smart and 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 sidestep the topic it's more about when we have less on these outcomes because we realize they're only going to give us temporary ups and downs Mm -hmm. then that clarity you talked about at the beginning tends to be more available in my experience whereas when it matters so much that they do this or they don't do that or I say this or I stand my ground you can already feel the sort of everything gets really heightened yeah 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 it reminds me uh, and I know I've mentioned her in the past a, a friend of mine an old friend of mine who's no longer with us who was like a mother sister friend to me she was just enough older she was she was a very supportive friend through the worst time of my life and she had impeccable boundaries like I would be desperate like like dying and call her and say I need to see you and she'd be like sorry I'm reading today reading or or I'm I'm running errands if you if you run errands with me you're welcome to come over or I'll see you tomorrow because I'm reading today and while it disappointed me she was so clear and clean about it like there was no emotion attached to it there was no it was just this clear and clean this is what I got take it or Mm -hmm. leave it And what that did for me was it taught me a lot about having my own boundaries, but it also, I had so much respect for her and I knew without a shadow of a doubt when she said, yes, you can come by, I knew she would be there for me. Like she was not wishing she were somewhere else or doing something else. And that felt so good and clean to me that I came to to so respect it. And I do respect people with strong boundaries because they don't have all of that. Oh, my God, I've got to rationalize this. I've got to make this OK. I've got to make I got to make the fact that I'm just reading today. OK, somehow. No, she just said, I'm reading. Sorry, can't come today. And it was so clean without all of that angst and and explanation and all of that stuff that I could receive it really well. So I think I hear something like that in what you're saying is it doesn't have all this 
part of what I call exponential thinking going on. You know, all these stories about why it's okay to have this boundary and why it's okay for me to say no or why, you know, just no. Because she was so clear and so grounded in herself that she didn't have to have explanation. She didn't have to tell me why it was okay to say no to me in in order for her to read that day. And I felt that in her so strongly that I, it was easy to accept. It's not that I didn't feel disappointed. I did, but I didn't have to feel resentful or, or all this amazing anger, or I just felt disappointed and that passed. So there's something about, you know, not only having a boundary, but having a boundary from, from a very grounded place, from a, from a very clear place without the need. One of the best pieces of advice I got years ago was when I was struggling with a business partner I had at that time. Uh, and we were just having a terrible time together. And I just kept thinking, if I can just explain my position well enough, clearly enough, she'll get it and then agree and then everything will be okay. And what happened was the more I explained, the more I explained, the worse it got. And the, some of the best advice I ever got was, Stop explaining. Get clear about what you want and take action on that, you know, that boundary thing. But stop explaining. And I did that. It was miraculous. Now, the situation with this business partner, it ended up that we went our separate ways. But we got there so fast and we and we went our separate ways in a friendlier way, a more amicable way than if we had kept going the way we were with all that conflict. So I, I, I love that piece of advice. Stop explaining, get clear, get grounded, and, and move from that place. Yeah, that is so helpful because when you, when you were saying about needing to, if you explained it clearly enough, they would agree. You know, I had the image of going into the courtroom and trying to persuade the jury of your case. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, their, and their decision, you know, everything hanging on their yes or no, guilty or not, and how how often we do that in so many different places and even to the extent of wanting to go before the jury to test whether our instincts are okay or not which is mm-hmm. i think something you alluded to when you were saying about when when people push back against the boundaries sort of losing our confidence and our yeah. trust in our own knowing so i love that advice you were given because it, it's very interesting in the work um, that i do helping people with chronic mental distress one of the biggest things people common things that people will say at at the beginning of programs is they want people to understand them they feel that people don't understand the anguish they feel and while I completely recognize and resonate that I was somebody who who desperately wanted people to understand but it's a bit what you're saying there that you it was as if the understanding would give me permission to be okay with how I was feeling. The lack of understanding that is very common uh, people experience if, if they have chronic mental distress that other people find it confusing, frightening, irritating, any number of things, is that somehow that can feed into uh, undermining their sense that their experience is valid 
And I got stuck there for a long time, feeling if only people would recognise what was going on and realise how deeply I was suffering and understand me more, then I would feel better. Yeah. And it's kind of, I can't think of a good analogy, but it's sort of, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's like trying to pump pump gas and and hoping that, you know, gold would come out and it's just not going to, it's the wrong pump. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I had a conversation, I think we even mentioned this last week with a client of mine who's kind of running in the middle of his pack right now and he was trying to figure out if if that was okay or not because he was getting a lot of pressure to because he's run in the front of the pack before in his world and he he gets a lot of pressure to get back in the front of the pack. And he started to doubt himself. And so we had a conversation about that and and came to find out, come to find out that he's actually right where he needs to be, sort of like a racehorse or a, or a marathon runner who is holding back so that they have enough energy to finish the race and finish it well. And then at the end, they can pull forward. And he loved that. He loved that analogy. But you're right. It was it came down to to for him, for you, for me, this self this self-doubt. Am I OK? Am I OK? You know, I've taken a very we talked about this, too, recently, Juliet, that I've taken a very different path in my adulthood than most of my friends and colleagues. And I have struggled over the decades to know if that was okay or not, because it was so different than what the rest of the, what the rest of everybody else around me was doing in terms of business and career and, and even family. And that self-doubt was the piece that made those years so full of suffering. It was not what I was doing, the path I was taking. It was the judgment, the hyperanalysis, the self-doubt that caused so much of the suffering. The truth is, looking back at 60 now, I was doing exactly what I needed to do. And I suffered so much, not because I was doing something different, but because of all that judgment, analysis, and self-doubt. Yeah, yeah. And, and dropping that has been life-changing. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? And and even, and dropping it, you know, listeners might be going, yeah, well, I don't feel like I can drop it. You know, it's not my choice to do this. And and that's a, a really interesting place to look because for me, it's um, it's very incremental and it looked to me like I didn't have any choice. Like I'd just have this, you know, um, subtitles in my head of sort of self-criticism and, and self-doubt and they can get very loud sometimes other times it didn't seem to be there and what it looks like now is you know the more we try and get rid of that the the kind of louder it gets it, it's sort of a paradox that arguing with it battling it fighting it um suppressing it none of those things really seem to work it for me in my experience but what is helpful is to begin to realize that, you know, I loved your, what you were saying about you were actually living the life that felt aligned for you. And but for listening to the you know, criticism of it and the self-doubt, A, it was actually happening anyway. And B, looking back, you can see that you might have enjoyed or suffered less if that those self-doubt and criticism hadn't kind of grabbed all your attention and 
it it looks to me that we as we sort of tune into something a bit deeper something really beautiful begins to happen is that that those voices get a bit less compelling and a bit less fascinating so for me they still crop up but they don't have the sort of stranglehold on me that they once did have I mean they could make me miserable for a very long time (laughs) and cause me to just like I was saying at the beginning you know go sort of back and forth and change my mind a lot and cause upset for myself and other people and it's as if over time yeah it's not so compelling and that's not all there is for me um and it's it's sort of lower lower level so I would I just invite listeners to I think it's more powerful to just notice when that's going on, if you can, without judgment of the judgment of the judgment. Because mm-hmm. when you notice it, yeah, it, it may not disappear instantly, but you're putting a little bit of distance between you and that inner critic. And there's just, there's something else I want to bring in, but I'll, I'll just go back to you if there's anything on there first. Well, I I was just thinking, you know, not only was I feeling this way, but I was feeling the shame and judgment and analysis in part because of the culture around me was telling me this is not a good path. And I just recently was looking for some documents and came upon some a series of letters between my father and me. My father was pretty critical and judgmental and and he was telling me I was doing it all wrong and that I needed to change and I needed to do something differently. So another thing I want to say to our listeners is that, you know, you 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 come by this really innocently, this judgment, this judgmental, hyper analytical, shameful voice. You come by that that innocently. You're surrounded by a toxic culture who tells you this is how it, this is what it means to be successful. This is what it means to be okay. This is what it means to look good, and so on. And that you can have a lot of compassion for yourself. That you have these voices, these critical voices in your head. That you really do come by that innocently. And it's not something, in my experience, Juliet, that you can just just snap your fingers and go, oh, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. No, it didn't, it didn't happen overnight that you got there. It's not going to happen overnight that you, that you come out of that. Mostly there may be times where, you know, I do have big sort of epiphany moments in my life that, that big changes happen, but in general, it's sort of an unfolding or, or or unraveling or, or, or appealing back the layer, layer after layer after layer. And that's okay too it's it's not going to happen overnight but i think you're absolutely right when you say but for that voice in my head and some of those external voices that i internalized i was fine and i see more and more and more that my suffering actually does come from from these these stories and thoughts that i attach to in such a way that i believe that they're real and i believe that they're me so I think you're right. In a way, the first step is to kind of wake up to the stories, wake up to that voice and put just a tiny bit of space between you and it. You are not that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that begins to dislodge it just a little bit, just a little bit of space. And over time, a lot can shift. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's where the power is in the end because when we 
we can go round and round the houses feeling that our thoughts come from, you mentioned the culture, from our family upbringing, from our genetics, from where we live, from the partnerships we're in, the relationships we're in or not in, from how our work is going or our business is doing. And, you know, you can begin to see that that's just a never ending circus. You know, you can always find something to pin it on. And I used to do this a lot. You know, I used to go the 20 questions of why I was feeling lousy (laughs) and I would, you know, tick them all off, you know, diet, exercise, um, work life balance. And of course, I found things to work on in every sphere. Of course, you would. There's always stuff you could adjust and tinker with. And I used to do that endlessly. And I've kind of been seeing recently that, um, you know, I think I got a measure of satisfaction out of doing that because I did live under the illusion that I I had this funny sort of mix of thinking I was captain of my own ship. But with that would come a lot of um, blame for myself when I wasn't enjoying myself or doing better or being better or behaving as I thought I should. And so I was caught in a bit of a catch-22 because when things weren't going well to my mind, I would just try and work harder in any one of those spheres, you know, a new exercise regime or to add kale to my diet or whatever it was. (laughs) And it was a kind of merry-go-round. And I'm not saying I like your word innocently. I didn't consciously... um, as far as I'm aware, choose to be on that merry-go-round. But um, I've reconnected with a very old friend recently who I was was at university with, and she and I both used to sort of have real highs and real lows, and we both vividly remember one night sitting up late, listening to music. We used to play Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive, often. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we sat there, you know, and we posed this question, would we give up? the highs if we could get rid of the lows and we both sat there and we didn't have to think about it very long we both said no mm-hmm. you know the highs felt so fantastic but it's like well if we have to have these lows in order to experience these highs then okay fair enough and we were I think 19 at the time and it's not for the first time I, I mean I've I've realized that for me some of the drama in my life made me feel alive Mm -hmm. even though it was horrible and painful at times yes and I think there's a way in which we can get faced with you know how honest are we willing to be with ourselves about our attachment to our kind of habitual ways of thinking because they keep something going. It's like an engine. It it keeps certain experiences going. And this isn't, it's not a a question to pose with your critical hat on. It's more of amusing, a wondering, a curiosity. Because there was a time in my life when I, when I think I believed that without that drama, my life would be incredibly dull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't want dull. I, I, that was an awful idea to me. And looking at it now, life without that drama, there's a very different kind of um, quiet joy I'm sure I felt at times, 
but it was very fleeting. And I didn't think that was where a rich life lived, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing that comes to my mind is it's like our, our ego becomes very fixed because, again, the brain likes familiarity, likes safety. And so if our personality is fixed around the negative drama, then to give that up feels like in a way we're dismantling this ego and that feels very threatening to the ego. So it's, it's difficult to make those changes because of that. But, I, and it made me think, is that why people cut themselves is to feel alive? And yeah, I, I think I, I can see for me, Juliet, how I was living such a dramatic, emotionally, mostly internal, by the way, internal dramatic life, just this desperately dramatic internal life. And I did give that up to a large extent. And then I think I sort of did go to this, I'm not going to have highs and I'm not going to have lows. I'm just going to, and because that felt, now that felt safe because the, the dramatic place eventually felt so unsafe that I was like, okay, this is not working any longer. Now I'm going to go here. And I even have clients who say, I don't want the high highs. I don't want the low lows. And I think there are a lot of people who, who do choose that place of not, of kind of numbing out or shutting down so that they don't have to feel all the trauma or the drama or whatever. And I, I hear what you're saying Oh, so I think I'm at a place where I'm trying to sort of now for the third time <laughs> reinvent myself. Yeah, yeah. But the great news is, I think, Juliet, is that we do have a plastic brain and it can, we can change. We can shift. We can make new decisions, make different choices. We, we, we do have that capability. And I think that, that there's a way in which for the years that I sort of went to neutral, if you will, I think I needed those years. Like, I'm not going to say that was wrong. I think I needed that to, to calm way down, to calm a very jacked up nervous system for decades way down and kind of come back to a little bit of equilibrium and a little more place of solidness within myself to be able now it, it, you know, for the for the third part of my life to to now experience in a safer way the highs and lows. It, does that make any sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. I I think I got the sense of a pendulum swing. So mm -hmm. from that very, yes. um, as you said, sort of activated state, mm -hmm. even even in the highs, I, I can recognize my nervous system mm -hmm. was activated, albeit mm -hmm. that the product was excitement and adrenaline, but it was still activated. Um, and so the pendulum swing to what might seem like um, keeping on a much more even keel, even as you said, in a way of actually suppressing unconsciously, perhaps um, keeping away from anything that looks too activating either to the positive or to the negative I wonder if there is what you're what you're describing now isn't coming back into a, a sort of that T.S. Eliot uh, piece we've quoted before of coming back around to be able to feel all of it uh, 
but not be so attached in the way that you were talking about. When our feelings look like they're us, our identity, then of course they matter. They're hugely important. And we kind of, we're hanging on like on a roller coaster. But when our, what we feel, what we experience is not so strongly identified with this means this about me, or I'm that kind of person, or, you know, they're that kind of person, you know, then it, it feels like an opening to really feel life coming through. And that sense that I had of wanting to feel alive, I've, I've just written a piece about traveling actually about that and how that was a place that really made me feel alive. And that's what I was seeking all the time. I want to feel fully alive. And it, it's sort of like right under our nose that I've always sensed we we wouldn't have been given this range of emotion if we weren't supposed to feel everything. Mm-hmm. But when there's so much on what we feel, we sort of get in a strange, um, like tangled in our own in our own psyches and our own minds, and it gets very confusing and busy in there. But actually, to just feel what what's coming through and to just be in life without so much of a narrative that's a that's far from dull <laughs> yeah that has the potential to I don't know you know just to be to be moved by the clouds it sounds so simple and we all know there's days when you'd be like oh go away clouds I'm not, <laughs> I'm not feeling moved by you today but those moments when you look up and you just a whole sense of you opens up like the big sky I wouldn't trade that for all the highs and lows I used to experience for anything. Well, I love what you're saying about not putting so much on it or that narrative because, and also thank you. I felt that felt like a little gift you gave me about the pendulum because it's easy, you know, it's easy to judge myself and say, Oh, you went from this to this and you know, you just can't figure it out. And it's like, no, this is me figuring it out. This is yes. It's taking me decades and that is just the human, that's just the human being in a way becoming conscious. And it just takes, you know, it just takes a while. Even evolution is a slow, slow process. It's the same in human beings. So I appreciate that metaphor. It's like, oh, yay, this is, I'm, it, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. The pendulum has swung and now I'm getting ready to come back. You know, I am coming back to a more balanced, centered place in this third uh, um chapter of my life or whatever you want to call it third third whatever but anyway I I appreciate that and it's true when I don't have this this all this meaning about it like oh you've swung from this to this you shouldn't have done that you should have gone straight to center and you know what's wrong with you you're not spiritual enough you're not smart enough you're not evolved enough that's where the suffering comes from being a human being and allowing our lives to unfold and co-creating with this life force that's coursing through us. That is, that is the path. It's an unfolding. It's not a, oh my God, I'm going to figure this out in this moment and everything's going to be fine. No, this is what we do in this life and it's okay. So Juliet, bring us home. We've got two minutes left to bring home this thing. And I love just dumping that on you every at the end of every time. <laughs> I know you, you bring do. it home. <laughs> well, I want to bring it back around to boundaries, and I and I think what we've been 
pointing at really is that boundaries get easier to see and and sort of live by because when there's less on it so you know we may find ourselves in a place of well I really don't mind yes I could do that or this and it's okay and I'll enjoy it all anyway and then something else may come in which is you know does this serve the other person because just circling back to your friend when you were in the time of need who you appreciated the gift of her boundary setting with you kind of giving you solid ground and sometimes just seeing that you know what we do and don't do at one level perhaps doesn't matter so much but when we start to just gently question does this serve others does this serve me mm-hmm. as the system settles down that I think gets clearer and boundary setting when boundary setting has a lot of angst with it it can blow up in our faces I think we've both seen that yeah when boundary setting is is actually you know for the greater good is a quote from a film but you know what serves others does serve us and vice versa and I think as that comes more into view boundaries become a gift mm-hmm. for everybody and um, I love what you've shared and I'm I'm going to really ponder on some of that because it's an area for me that's still a bit fuzzy so yeah thank you that's beautiful Juliet and, and what you said that it serves us all to have our boundaries and that doesn't mean that if I have a good boundary that you're going to like it <laughs> and sure. it may not you may not see how it serves you until much later if ever or I may not see exactly. So that's not the point. But but yes, taking uh taking some of that some of that angst off of it is gonna help us. So yeah, sit on the bank of yourselves, everybody, and uh and come to clarity and have your boundaries. It's okay. Thank you, Juliet. Thank you, Carla. You've been listening to the Riffing on Realness podcast with Carla Royal and Juliet Fay. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend. We would truly appreciate it if you'd rate and review this podcast, which will help others find us. You can visit me, Carla, at CarlaRoyal.com. I am a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving, high-performance entrepreneurs and business owners who are quietly dealing with too much mental chatter and anxiety. Juliet loves freedom of mind, which she explores and shares through poetry and conversations. Find her at soulcare.org. That's soulcare, S-O-L-C-A-R-E.org. We'll see you next time on Riffing on Realness.